Hello, welcome to episode three of the Marketer Pitch Podcast. I am your host, Corey Davis, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yesenia Reynoso. Hello, everyone. Corey, it's good to be back on the air. Welcome to episode three, everyone. We are six we are six days away from Thanksgiving. The big meal is coming. Yeah, and I'm actually glad that we made it to episode three. Uh, if you guys haven't heard, please go back and watch or listen to our first two episodes. Our first episode was just an introduction. We had some good uh, chat, and then episode two actually is has been my favorite of, of the of the two episodes. It's all about the politics and all about the this past uh, presidential election that we just had. So definitely, please check them out wherever you listen to your podcast and hopefully you can you can start subscribing to our podcast absolutely Corey. uh to all of our viewers out there these last two episodes have been so informative i highly recommend you all to go back and check them out we are on itunes spotify soundcloud google podcast uh and many other podcasting mediums so please if you haven't done so with the thanksgiving holiday break coming up take the time, go in and check them out. And also I want to reiterate from my previous comment, I said that we were six days away. Scratch that. We are actually less than six days away from Thanksgiving. So gobble, gobble. So if you are new to the podcast, each week we give our thoughts on the biggest issues facing the advertising, marketing, and PR industries, specifically from a black and brown perspective. So with that said, just like what Yesenia is mentioning, we are entering Thanksgiving week in the United States. So Yesenia, what are your plans for the holiday this year? Are you doing anything fun? Specifically, we are in a COVID era. Well, Corey, my Thanksgiving plans are to stay home, cook a nice meal, and spend time with my immediate family. It's a small group this year. We typically have a mid-sized group to come to my house for the celebration, but not this year. I did uh, attend a thanks, uh, Friendsgiving celebration um, yesterday, and on having video chats with the rest of my family and friends during the holiday break, as well as some beauty pampering and lots of movie watching. And you? And kind of, kind of the same. I'm keeping it low-key this year. Normally, I'm a big advocate of traveling. I really don't have any family that's based in the Los Angeles area where, I'm currently, uh, where I currently live. So normally, I'm traveling back east or I'm just traveling for the holidays to meet with family. But this year... Because we are in COVID era and the cases are rising dramatically, I just think that it's safe for not only for myself, but also for my family and our fellow Americans to just stay at home. Uh, I'm just going to, like you just said, I'm going to cook something. I'm actually looking at doing something non-traditional, maybe having meatballs or wings. Maybe not turn a Super Bowl, turn a Super Bowl Sunday to Thanksgiving, almost like a mismatch. I'm not sure yet, but... Uh, Thanksgiving in 2020 is a little different. So my, my motto is when I make my food match the different difference of Thanksgiving for this year. Every Thanksgiving, I, my family typically goes the untraditional route. Uh, uh, That's smart. I know, yeah. Uh, I know for most American families, they have, you know, the typical Thanksgiving meal, uh, turkey, cranberry sauce, uh, stuffings, uh, mashed potatoes with gravy, pumpkin pie for dessert, among those other avenues. But my family is different. We don't have turkey. Uh, We're just not fans of it. Uh, uh, But we do have, uh, you know, other recipes such as pork or pernil in Spanish. 
Uh, we also have a nice juicy chicken steak, um, very nice uh, arroz con pollo, a chicken with uh, chicken with rice uh, in English, um, as well as you know um, every other you know different type of Latin cuisine, empanadas. Um, a salad, you know, an egg salad. Uh, and then for dessert, we typically have either a small cake with some ice cream uh, or some really cool um, ice, ice, ice cream popsicles. So um, I know every family celebrates it a little bit differently, but, you know, on top of the food being good and, you know, everybody has their own respective traditions, which makes the holiday, you know, all the more fun. The main thing is, is that, you know, we all, you know, especially this year, with how, you know, the year has turned out, we all want to be truly grateful, you know, for, for what we have. Yes. And, uh, I, after hearing all of that, I just want, after I get my vaccine, I want the 2021 invite to the Reynoso household because that foods all sounds really amazing. Like, can I have a plate please? Oh, Corey, you are more than welcome to uh, join us in next year's celebration. So if you want, we can start hashing those plans out now. And just speaking of vaccine, we've heard over the past uh, week or so that Pfizer and Moderna have actually announced that they are ready to release a vaccine to the American and also to the world, to the world with a 95% effective vaccine rate, which is really big. Uh, just comparison, the flu vaccine that we take each year is only 40 to 60% effective. So having a vaccine that's a 95% is really huge. And this is coming out off the heels of the CDC announced this past week that the current death toll, which is just north of 250,000, is expected to go to nearly 300,000 by December the 12th, which to me is very huge and unfortunately a very sad, sort of sad amount that we've lost close to 300,000 Americans in 2020 based off the coronavirus. Uh, are, are things in Exodonia, you're located in the New York tri-state area, do you find your things shutting back down uh, here in California? We're actually under a curfew from 10 to 5, 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Is the same thing happening back in your in the tri-state area? Well, first and foremost, Corey, I'm glad you talked about the vaccine uh, because with the news of the Pfizer Moderna um, uh, situation, you know, this is positive news on that front. And you just kind of gave a sneak peek as to what my PR bulletin board is going to be about. So we'll talk about that later on in the show. But regarding, you know, COVID-19, um, we already started to see some of these uh, restrictions being implemented back in place. You know, just uh, just last week, uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York City announced uh, the closure of NYC public schools because they hit the three percent um, percentage mark uh, for when uh, for when COVID positive tests uh, were shown. But uh, we are starting to see, you know, overall. Corey, the resurgence of, you know, of these numbers going up, you know, due to, you know, due to the coronavirus pandemic, we're starting to see tougher restrictions on, you know, being implemented in place back in, you know, the restaurants, bars and lounges. But just to be straightforward, regarding the surge of the COVID-19 cases, this is very sad to see, but we should not be at all surprised by this. It was something prognosticated by medical experts months ago. I think the pandemic in general has truly exposed fatal flaws in terms of our systems, yes. institutions, and mental state. We have seen ignorance, arrogance, incompetence, and the complete lack of preparation and leadership among our elective officials. I agree. And... I cannot just say to everyone listening to please wear a mask. I think that's probably our greatest effort to, that we can do until a vaccine comes out 
is to wear a mask. It's not a political statement. Just because you wear a mask doesn't mean you are a Democrat or Republican. You wear a mask because you want to save not only yourself, but you want to save the people around you and your loved ones. So just wear a mask every time you go outside. And that's probably our greatest effort to fight this disease. From a medical and economic standpoint, it didn't have to be this way. If we would have taken the virus more seriously, executed comprehensive health and financial plans, and everyone merely following the rules just as, uh, just as simply wearing a mask, we will not be in this mess. Remember, viruses don't discriminate. It didn't matter where it originated. It will affect all walks of life. It's how we tackle it. It's what's going to determine the, minim- the minimization of damage. We have seen other countries implementing extreme measures and implementing policy changes that assisted citizens in navigating through the pandemic. The U.S., on the other hand, nope, completely dropped the ball on this. Agree. And just going, driving back home to an advertising and PR standpoint, I definitely think the, the government and the U.S. government did a disservice and not doing a big coronavirus and anti-coronavirus and way to protect yourself campaign. You've seen the FDA do anti-smoking campaigns. The You see the Truth Is campaign, which is probably the biggest anti-smoking campaign, which has contributed to smoking and teen smoking at its lowest level in decades. So I, I wish our government took those same kind of measures and efforts that they do with smoking and anti-drugs to helping Americans prevent coronavirus and wearing a mask and taking steps to protect themselves. Uh, and to wrap this up real quick, Corey, from a communications perspective, it, we're, we are currently in a crisis situation. And so the crisis communication tactics have to come into play. Two things are very important when you execute in any crisis. And again, I'll talk about this later on my bulletin board. You need to be empathetic, factual, and extremely communicative when you put out your messaging uh, regarding a situation, situations such as this. I mean, in any crisis, you know, you need to be ahead of the curve and also be extremely factual and making sure and not only that you are telling the truth, informing the public as to what they need to know, how it how how it's going and as well as your plans, you also have to debunk any type of misinformation. And from a messaging perspective, that is so critical whenever you're tackling with a crisis. Agree. And look at us. Even though this is our introduction, I feel like we are talking about the news headlines. So I, let's put a button on that and let's just hope that the cases over the next week, specifically Thanksgiving week, actually reduce. So with that said, let's move on to our news headline from the past week. Here's where we just give you a, a quick highlight of some of the biggest headlines that we saw that are very interesting. And our first one is, comes, from, comes to us from Yahoo.com. And in this, in this article, Yahoo actually announced that Wonder Woman 1984 which is a sequel to the Wonder Woman film that came out a few years ago, will simultaneously debut in theaters and on HBO Max on Christmas Day this year in the United States. This is huge because we have yet to see a big blockbuster like this debut in people's homes at the same time as it is in theaters. So as this is groundbreaking, once COVID is over, Yesenia, do you have any interest in going to a movie theater if, if these big studios continue doing the same thing, releasing movies at home at the same time as in theaters? Do you think more studios should follow suit? And I just also want to say that it's just not, uh, it's just not Wonder Woman 1984. 
Coming to America 2, which everyone knows is a sequel to the big blockbuster of the 1980s Eddie Murphy hit film, Coming to America, is debuting on Amazon Prime in March. So I definitely think a lot of studios are starting to do this. And who knows? Do you have any interest in going back to the movie theaters once this becomes, quote unquote, safe and we all have a vaccine? Personally, I don't feel comfortable enough to step into a theater unless Derek's a vaccine. However, when I saw this news on Twitter, two things. One, we knew that the extent of the pandemic was going to affect the Wonder Woman release one way or another. And second, the fact Warner Brothers decided to debut uh, its movie both in theaters and HBO Max is a solidification of what the immediate future is going to be for the cinema and streaming services industry. Struggle for cinema and money for streaming. From a communication standpoint, this is a stunning move for Warner Brothers because it it still caters to the moviegoers and helps the cinema industry in some capacity as it tries to reinvigorate itself. Second, studios can now basically use streaming services to premiere big blockbuster, blockbuster films at whatever price they want. Many people have at least one streaming service and are willing to pay a substantial amount of money to watch the film. At the end of the day, the studios it's what the studios want, which is the revenue. Correct. But as we both know, we both worked in... Uh for a cinema advertising company, majority of cinema, cinema companies make majority of their money on concessions. They make very little on the actual movie. So even having 5% of people say, I don't want to go to the theaters anymore. I, I just want to watch it when it comes on my local streaming service, whether it be Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, or HBO Max, that will, help, that will hurt the cinema companies, 5% of people not going into their studios, ordering popcorn, ordering soda, ordering candy, would, would hurt, definitely hurt their business. So I'm very curious to, to, to see what they think and whether they think that this is a business model that may not have a future anymore. Maybe, maybe not this year, but maybe 10 or 15 years down the road, the, the experience of going to the movie theater could be coming to an end. Yeah, I can't help but wonder if this is a sign of deep trouble for cinema and exhibition, in my opinion. I, I fear that it's going to do damage to the cinema to cinema and the exhibition industries uh, in the long run, as we have seen a decline in recent years thanks to streaming services. Now, if studios are, premier are premiering films on Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, HBO Max, etc., are consumers going to actually spend the money at a movie theater where they can access it at the comfort of their own home? Mm -hmm. Do they go to the to the you know? Do they go to the movie theater and have that movie going experience? Possibly. Uh, and you said it yourself. You know, most of these movie theaters, you know, their revenue comes from these um, exhibition um, slash concession stands uh, and other different types of promotion. So this is something to watch, especially heading into next year. I know Marvel has some big tempo movies coming out with Black Widow and Internals. They have Disney Plus. Do we see Marvel pulling a similar move? And you also just mentioned it earlier, Corey, Coming to America 2 will soon debut on Amazon Prime. Are we starting to see a shift uh, in terms as to how, you know, blockbuster films are going to be debuting? Is this really, you know, this is, you know, painful to say, but are we starting to see, you know, the beginning of the end um, regarding the, uh, you know, the, the movie going experience? Agree. And and just really quick before we move on to our next segment, I do think there is a little bit of good news for cinema cinema companies to look forward to is there's nothing like going to the movie. The movie going experience is very unique and is very something that can never be replicated. 
So when I go to the movie theater, I'm not necessarily just going to see the film. I'm going to have popcorn, whether I'm going on a date or whether I'm going with friends. It's, it's to be able to share that experience with other people. And then also, like coming to America too, I would love to see that movie in theater because I want to see laughter from the whole audience. I like going to see horror films in theaters because I like the audience reacting to the screen and being scared. Marvel films where people are plotting at the end. When you're at home, you lose that and you will never get that back. So I definitely think cinema companies, if they can start selling the, the movie going experience to Americans, will be, very, will be better served to making a comeback and hopefully continuing the, the cinema going experience for years to come. Well, uh, Corey, you hit it right on the nail. It's up to these uh, cinema companies to reinvent themselves uh, in a different way. How do they quickly adapt to the environment is going to be key to their um, survival. I agree. So with that, let's move on to our next segment. It is Corey's ad chat, where I give you just a highlight of an article that made a difference to me this week and my thoughts on it. And for this week, my article and my ad chat comes from adage.com. And it's an alarming article about the huge gap in diverse CMO hires in a study done by the ANA. In this article, AdAge found that only 12% of top marketing positions are held by people of color. When you look deeper into that 12%, Black people or African Americans hold just 3% of CMO level jobs, which is unchanged from 2019 and 2018. This is especially alarming since African-Americans make up 13% of the U.S. population. Just that paragraph alone, to me, is very disgusting, especially as an African-American male. I was just dumbfounded. I knew it was bad, but wow, 3%. So this report comes after the U.S. just went through a summer of protests, as we all know, due to the killing of George Floyd in May, also in Breonna Taylor in March. And the call for racial justice, not only from our government, and the police who we, who we want to be accountable, but also racial justice in the private sector. The advertising and marketing industry this past summer were one of the first to step up and acknowledge a problem from within and the need to bring more diverse opinions to the industry. But I never realized how bad the situation was. 3% of African-Americans in senior leadership roles is not only abysmal, but very outrageous. How can marketers and advertisers even attempt to market to the general public without having a diverse staff in leadership roles? People of color make up over 30% of the, of the U.S. population. So how can these agencies even understand what people of color want or desire when their staff is wider than the Trump White House? Brands have to realize they are doing a disservice to themselves but not having more diverse talent on the staff. Being in the industry myself, specifically the advertising and marketing industry, this is definitely not surprising. As I have risen in my own career, I'm usually the only person of color in meetings with both agencies and clients alike. I can probably count on one hand how many people of color, specifically African-Americans or black people, I see in leadership positions within my own holding company. Yes, I will say they are making a stride in 2020 to do a lot better. And I expect this problem over the next five, six, seven years, hopefully will, uh, will be less of an issue but I will say what makes this figure of a 3% even worse is that when you look at junior level positions in the industry, black employees make up 60% of the population. Yes, that's more than 3%. And it's, it's still less than 13% of the general population. 
But I take I took out a six percent of and I look at it this way. Because why are only fifty percent of the black employees who are in the industry actually being promoted to senior level positions? So to me it screams you can hire us to be the junior assistant to be a coordinator you can hire us to be an assistant negotiator you can hire us to be assistant planner but how come you're not promoting us to be svps how come black people are not promoted to be vps i think the advertising industry recognizing that they need to change and have more diverse employees is a good start but we will need radical change if we ever get to a position of uh, of equality in the industry so jess i definitely want to get you in on this what's your thoughts are you surprised about the lack of diversity in the industry what do you think they can do to actually increase diversity? This diversity issue will continue to persist over and over until companies actually make a genuine effort in building a more diverse workforce. It's a topic that should have already been addressed and implemented across all levels. But here we are. It's even more evident that senior level positions continue to be a struggle for people of color due to the barriers in place. Look no further than the top to grapple with this. The lack of diversity inside agencies and in-house departments has been discussed for years, but it continues to be under scrutiny again due to calls for racial justice and ensuing protests. Company after company prepare plans to distribute it to the public. People must educate themselves and understand. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mixed up here. So sorry. Company after company has made pledges to boost their diversity efforts and to do more outreach to people of color. But the data reveals how little that progress has been made. Again, it is up to the companies themselves to genuinely learn and develop strategies for how to better represent them, to have better representation, I should say, to reflect that the changing demographics in this country. As you know, as PR pros, we have to be teachers and showing these executive teams how to properly address those issues, support and amplify your workplace, especially individuals of color and to build a better platform for them to actually voice their story. Now, individuals are going to ask senior executives what are their plans to address diversity and inclusion, so they better come up with concrete answers. Agree. And I definitely think what's going to really help moving forward is having these numbers out here being released publicly. Because for years, like you just said, Yesenia, you've always heard, yes, we need to do better, we need diversity, we need to increase our diversity, without actually putting numbers to the, on, on paper. So with some people here, we need to increase diversity. In their opinion, they may think, okay, the company maybe has 30% diverse employees. Maybe they should go up to 35%. But when you actually put the number up there and saying 12 12% of uh, people of color uh, in the whole industry, that's very low. So when you actually release and be transparent on the actual number, I think that will increase the these agencies making more radical changes to increase their diversity in, within their own ranks, not only in junior positions, but also in senior leadership positions. Because as we both know, the higher and the more diverse senior leadership is, the more diverse the overall industry will be. Yeah, yeah. The, the good news is, is we're starting to see companies step up to the plate little by little and investing in talent displayed by people of color. Data indicates that 52% of the top positions are being held by women. Great. Mid and lower level positions are filled with individuals of color, paving the way for potential growth. Now we need to see more progress on that. We're seeing companies such as Peloton, Coca-Cola, Calvin Klein, and Amazon Prime Studios fill the top roles with people of color. Strides and progress. At least we're starting to see some movement, but again, 
is that movement genuine enough, you know, to actually, you know, start putting better representation, you know, on all these, on all these important uh, positions. Agree. And with that said, uh, that is my ad chat. I want to hear from you guys all at home. Please email me with your thoughts. Uh, that's market or pitch at gmail.com. Again, that's market or pitch at gmail.com. I definitely want to hear your thoughts, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, or just give me just your thoughts on how can the industry change this position? What can they do to actually increase diversity? Any thoughts are great thoughts. So definitely email us. And for our next segment, it's, uh, it's Yesenia's PR angle, where she gives us a, a little um, news from the PR world. So Yesenia, do you want to give us a little uh, highlight of what your bulletin board is about this week? Absolutely, everyone. As discussed earlier in the show, the COVID-19 pandemic ravages our country. We are currently about, if not already, on the second wave. Some people feel we are still on the first wave. Either way, we have seen how this pandemic forever changed our lives. In all of the darkness, some encouraging news. Reports highlighted Pfizer and Moderna are on track to producing a vaccine that will be mass distributed to the public sometime next year. This is music to our ears. With news of a vaccine already dominating headlines, it is one of the most critical importance to be factually correct and empathetic in real time. For PR practitioners, especially those working in the healthcare sector, the powerful storytelling of collaboration instead of competition can emerge as a real uplifting message. According to PR News, the pharmaceutical industry has a real chance to demonstrate spirit, innovation, resiliency, and collaboration for the benefit of society in their messaging. The main form of method, a press release. Anything positive comes, becomes a critical PR message. Let's look at this from a crisis communications perspective. The four necessary communications messages during a crisis are trust, compassion, stability, and hope. In any crisis, you need to always be ahead, empathetic, factual, and knowledgeable in terms of your plan execution. You need to make yourself available 24-7 and ready to answer questions and offer important information for people to find. In a crisis, this is where your credibility can make or break you. Now, during COVID-19, we have seen the spread of misinformation across all mediums, which has affected how the public views this public health emergency. The overall messaging has been so politicized and heavily partisan that having people understand the real dangers of COVID-19 turned into a simple puddle of water. We cannot allow misinformation to overtake the truth, especially with the potential vaccine in the works. The healthcare and pharma com companies must share information with everyone and prepare plans to distribute it to the public. People must educate and understand how vaccines work. That's where the facts come in. Through effective storytelling, it can be done. And because of the global, global spread of COVID-19, it's going to take more than one organization to fulfill the needs of the world's population. Another benefit which allows the public to see the standards of safety being employed in the vaccine production. This promotes a public a positive outlook for citizens concerned with, with any vaccine. A combined effort across industries will showcase the vaccine's capabilities to work in broad population types. The more vaccines coming forward with safe, effective data should inspire greater confidence among the people. And finally, since the start of this pandemic, the debate about science has been overruled with so many outcries for treatment and best practices. The more statistics revealed by these healthcare and pharma organizations, the more society can get back involved into the science conversation. Corey, 
we very well may be looking at either a potential factual revelation or another partisan battle. With everything that has happened this year, do you, as well as our audience, genuinely feel optimistic or concerned about how this vaccine news will eventually roll itself out? Right now, I feel concerned. Unfortunately, I feel concerned. And this is just coming off of this one incidental uh, incidental evidence that this just happened this past week when the news came out. Initially, we all know that Pfizer was the first to announce that they have a vaccine ready. Uh, and of course, there was politics being played, but I'm just talking specifically within the pharmaceutical industry. Pfizer came out, they said they had a vaccine that was 90% effective. Three days later, Moderna came out and had a vaccine. They said our vaccine is 95% effective. That's great news, both great news. And then you saw the next day Pfizer said, oh yeah, we actually did another study and our vaccine is also 95% effective. So to me, that's saying, are they in competition with each other now? Is Pfizer, does Pfizer just do a reevaluation to prove that we can stand up to Moderna? Instead of working together, it kind of sounds like they're competing. And who could be the first one to make the most money? So now I'm thinking, okay, if they're going to be competing, just like you said, and not collaborating, this could be very detrimental to the rollout and the release of the vaccine in 2021. We all, we all take the flu vaccine every single year. The flu vaccine is not one company. The flu vaccine has multiple pharmaceutical companies. But do majority of people know they're taking a... Uh, a flu vaccine by Sanofil? No. They just know they're getting a flu vaccine. The coronavirus corona, coronavirus vaccine should be the same way, in my opinion. You should just take the vaccine. You shouldn't have to know this is Moderna's uh, vaccine or this is Pfizer's vaccine or this is Johnson Johnson's vaccine if they develop one next year. You should just be, here's a vaccine. Because the goal for, in a pandemic, it's a global pandemic, is getting the rollout and getting everyone to take it so everyone can can be safe and hopefully more lives won't be lost as a result of this deadly disease instead of having a competition where who can make the most money which pharmaceutical companies can get rich off of this vaccine i'm still stunned as to how this public health crisis has become so politicized it's unfathomable and unacceptable on all accounts this is one of the few crisis type situations that requires everyone to work together be visible accountable credible and respectful from day one it has not turned out that way we have seen the worst of the worst from our leadership and i don't feel confident that we can do an effective job seeing it from a messaging standpoint it's been a balance between uplifting and resentful. We have not listened to the science and medical experts from the beginning as we let our tribal opinions cloud our judgment. It's gotten worse since the pandemic rages on. However, the news of the vaccine brings incredible hope. We all want a sense of normalcy to return. This is why we must let the experts do their job and effectively communicate the public about the safety protocols of these vaccines. The more companies showcase their metrics and results, the more educated the public becomes potentially taking the vaccine. It also boosts confidence. I agree. And with that, that is our final words for episode three. Definitely. Thank you, Yesenia. This has been another great episode recording. Uh, any last thoughts to our viewers before we let them go? This has been a terrific show. So many topics. I want to thank our audience for tuning in. Don't forget to like, comment, share, or subscribe to Market or Pitch. You can also email us at marketorpitch.com your thoughts on any things we discuss or something else you may have in mind. Please, we'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, we are available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and other podcasting mediums. 
we can't wait to hear from you uh, again. Uh, and we hope to see you back on episode four. Yes. And with that, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And please wear a mask and protect yourself. Have a great one. Thanks, everyone. Bye.